Welcome to episode 18 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of the What When Wine Diet, Paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jinstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 18 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how are you today, Jen? I'm doing great. How about you? Anything new going on? I feel like I'm always the same, just chipping away at the book. Right. Chipping, chipping, chipping. I'm excited to just get it all like really done on my end. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So then I can just start new things. (laughs) But um, it's going really well. How about you? How's your book going? Well, I have put it to the side for a little while just because it's my my sister's reading it. I have someone else reading it. A, a physician is reading it. So um, I'm waiting, waiting for feedback, and then I'm going to take all the feedback and put it together and do some do some revising of and editing. I like to not look at it for a while so that I see it through fresh eyes, and I'm, then you are like, "What did I even mean here?" You know, <laughs> there's just something about letting it sit. Me too. That's so, so true. Because yeah. you, you, you're just looking at it so much and it all just runs together. And then taking a breather is nice. I guess I'm actually at the same same stage as you because I'm waiting on notes and copy editing. Right. So. Right. Well, see, I'm, I don't have official copy editing since I'm self-publishing this one as well. So, you know, that's a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> Hoping that's that like, I don't <laughs> miss something. I was going to say that that when I self-published the first one, that was like the crazy part, looking for typos and right. just, oh, there's so many little things. That- there are. And, you know, every time I find one in somebody else's book, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. I mean, you know, because oh, yeah. no, these are books that have been, you know, gone. they've gone through the actual publishing, you know, step. Like I, I was reading one about um, the gut microbiome written by a reputable person, and I found a typo. And I was like, awesome. I mean, not awesome. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. <laughs> Feel better about yourself. Well, you do because we're not perfect, but it's good to know that no one else is either. So yes. if anybody finds typos in my book, I'm sorry. <laughs> we just, you know, we read so quickly in our minds, we know what we want it to say, and then we just assume it says that. Yes. We don't even read <laughs> – I've heard that we don't even read word by word. We read like in blocks, I think. That's actually true. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm an elementary teacher and I've studied how, how to teach people to read. And that's actually true. Once you get to be a fluent reader, you just, you chunk it. Like your eyes are constantly moving. So I guess, you know, other people may not notice those typos either because they're the way they're reading it. Now we're going on a tangent, but have you ever um, looked into speed reading? Do you know anything about that? I do. I'm actually a very fast reader. So I read very, very quickly. I'm not an official like speed reader, but I do read very, very quickly. So I don't notice things for that reason. 
Yeah, I read very quickly as well. I just remember hearing about speed reading where people, they go to the classes to learn how to do it and they can read like a page in like a second. Like they just look at like paragraph blocks. Yeah, I don't read that fast, but it's crazy. <laughs> I know. But yes, and we're also back to school. So I went back to work and the kids actually start in the morning. So summer is over and I'll be teaching children and tomorrow the buses roll up. And Oh, man. Yeah. Crazy. Well, I wish you the best. Thank you. Thank you. This is year 28. So, Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> all right. So shall we jump into all of our questions today? Yes. Let's get started. So we've talked about different vegan and vegetarian questions on previous podcasts, and we've been getting some feedback emails about that. So we thought we would start and read two different emails speaking to that just so we can let listeners know the feedback we're getting, especially just because it's a it's a very not polarizing topic, but I think there's a lot of opinions on it. So I wanted to get some feedback straight from the source of people who actually are vegan and vegetarian. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So our first feedback email comes from Camilla, and the subject was vegetarianism. And she said, hi, girls. My name is Camilla, and I'm listening to your podcast all the way from Sweden, which is really exciting, Sweden. Um, I love it. It is great inspiration. My only reflection is when you talked about vegetarians or vegans as it was a diet. For me, it's all about the environment and the fact that I don't want to eat animals. My choices have nothing to do with diets or losing weight. I think that is a big misunderstanding. I try to live as healthy and sustainable as I can. And she says, keep up the good work and thank you for all the inspiration. And so I I thought that was a a really great email and um, a really good point to point out, as it were. (laughs) So did you have any thoughts on that one specifically? Yes, I agree with Camilla, and I think that when we talked before, you and I both talked about how we we dabbled in vegetarianism. I know for me, it was, at the time, treating it as a diet. She's exactly right. We treated, I treated it as a diet. Would you say that's the same as you, or were you doing it? I mean, I I literally just tried it for like a week, (laughs) but um, yeah, definitely it was as a diet. Right, and so she's right, and I think the people who are, are vegetarians and vegans are not approaching it as a diet. It's an ethical choice to them. Now, I will say that, you know, the longer I do intermittent fasting, my tastes change. I'm eating less meat, but it's not an ethical choice for me. Um, It's just because I feel better when I don't eat a lot of meat. So thank you for pointing that out, Camilla. And um, it, it is a very important distinction as to, you know, why you're choosing to be a vegan or a vegetarian. And I definitely respect your choice to do that. Definitely. And even though I'm not vegan or vegetarian, I'm really on the same page about the environment and sustainability. And I'm just really into that. So I try to, or I only purchase animal products that are organic and using sustainable methods. And I'm really big into looking into the actual producers behind the food that I buy at the grocery store and such. And I do think that's huge. And I personally think that we could move towards a sustainable, environmentally friendly system inclusive of animal products as well. But I mean, that's a whole nother issue I could go on a tangent about. Um, But yeah, so that was a great email from Camilla. So our second email is from Kelly and she says, hi, Jen and Melanie, great podcast. And I appreciate the comprehensive research you have done regarding IF. I've been intermittent fasting for the last few months and feel great. More importantly, I have been a vegan for the last five years, vegetarian for about 15 years prior. 
so thought I would mention some information about DHA and EPA supplementation that you may not be aware, as it has come up a couple of times on the podcast. In regard to DHA and EPA requirements when on a plant-based diet, microalgae oil is a superior plant source, as it naturally has the proper balance of DHA and EPA that can be fully utilized by the body. Clinical trials with microalgae oil indicate comparable efficacies to fish oil for protection from cardiovascular risk factors by lowering triglycerides and oxidative stress. I know you will do your own research, but just thought I'd mention it. Thanks. And I'm actually, I'm so glad Kelly sent this email. Right after we recorded that last podcast, or whenever I talked about DHA and EPA supplementation, like the next day I was reading more about it and I came across the microalgae oil and I was like, oh man, I should have (laughs) talked about that. So I actually went back and updated the show notes and put links to supplements like she mentions. Um, But I think that was, that was great feedback to have. And that's a wonderful source for those fatty acids. Yes. Thank you, Kelly, for pointing that out. And, um, it's it's good to hear from someone who is living that lifestyle and has found a way to get all the nutrients that, that your body requires. So we appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, so definitely if you're a vegan or vegetarian, I definitely encourage you to check out those um, algae-based supplements for DHA and EPA, which as we discussed, you they're not bioavailable in plant form. Even with like flaxseed and such and nut-based forms, the body has to convert it. It's a very, very not efficient conversion process. So definitely check out those supplements. We'll put um, a a link to them in the show notes. So if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 18. All right. Are we ready to jump into the first question? All right. This is from Jessica and the subject is food. And she says, could you talk about it in detail, the quantity of how much food you were eating during your window? like a literal list of this is everything I ate yesterday or what you would typically eat. I'm wondering if you're eating 1,800 calories in that window or what, wanting more detail about the quantity. Thanks. Enjoying the podcast and calorie information as I try to decide if this is something I want to try to adopt for a lifestyle. So what do you think about that, Melanie? All right. So this is a very interesting question, and it's um, it speaks to an an issue or a topic that Jen and I have actually discussed before and does come up a lot, I think, with people. And I at least personally, I, I'm a little bit hesitant to say this is exactly what I eat because I don't want people to think that what I am personally eating specifically is exactly what they should be eating because I think people really are quick to do that um, because we want success and we want everything to work out. So we see, we look at what other people are doing and we think, oh, if I do that exactly, then that'll work for me. And I I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's very rarely the case. So I don't ever want to say exactly, oh, this is exactly what I'm eating. (laughs) What do you think about that, Jen? I agree with that. Um, The research that I've done for book two, it's it's a book about food and our bodies and how our bodies are different. And I get into the gut microbiome. I get into genetics. And Honestly, we are all so different, even down to the number of calories that our bodies utilize from the food that we're eating. And of course, that also depends on the the foods themselves, but it also depends on our individual bodies. So if I wrote down exactly what I ate day to day and handed it to somebody, 
you know, that doesn't, even if they, let's say they were exactly the same weight as I am right this minute, or, and they started eating exactly like me, that doesn't mean that they would respond the same way that I do to those exact foods. So, um, I see this a lot in the Facebook groups, you know, someone will have success and then five people will say, what do you eat? When do you eat it? You know, exactly. And it's just so, so very, very different for each of us. So, you know, she specifically mentioned if I'm eating, you know, 1800 calories or if that's what we're eating, I would say some days I eat more than 1800 calories and some days I eat fewer than 1800 calories, but I don't ever know. I've actually stopped mentally, you know, when you're a dieter, you tend to mentally, I know exactly what you're going to say, you mentally count the calories. Right. You you knew it because you, and a lot of people who have dieted for years can do that. Like I can eyeball something and I know that this has this many calories, but I don't do that anymore. I've stopped doing it. And so I honestly don't have any idea because when I'm, when I'm cooking, I'll, I'll taste something and say, oh, this needs more butter and I'll just throw it in. And so when I'm finished, I literally have no idea how many calories I just ate. I mean, I honestly don't. So I, I don't, want to overthink it or even let you think that there's one certain way that you have to do it. Because as I said, my body is different than your body. My gut microbiome is different. My genetics are different. The foods I like are different. What I feel good eating, what I like to eat. So we just did not answer your question by giving you an actual list. But, you know, and Melanie and I don't eat the same foods and that's okay too. We both eat what makes us feel good. And the things that make me feel the best are not the same things that necessarily make Melanie feel the best. So, yeah. So, I mean, I will say to answer it vaguely, Jessica. <laughs> so, like, I personally do follow a paleo diet. So, I eat um, all whole foods and I eat mostly meat, vegetables, fruits, healthy oils like coconut oil and such, sometimes like grass fed butter. And I eat them to satiety. And, like Jen just said, I find that. Sometimes I eat more, sometimes I eat less. It's really, it it changes based on, I think, what my body needs at that moment. And I don't count calories. I honestly have no idea how many calories it is. It probably, I think it does fluctuate pretty greatly Mm -hmm. because I do find that some days I'm like super hungry and other times I'm not. So you ask if it's 1800 calories, I don't know. (laughs) I just uh, eat the foods that, like Jen said, that make you feel good. Yeah. But we do have another email that kind of relates to this. This one went along with it. This one's from Annie and it's recipes. And it says, hi, guys. I love the podcast. Could you guys share your favorite go-to weeknight dinner recipes or meals? So we thought that would be a good follow-up question um, for this whole topic. So I'm a, I'm a bad example personally because I... I eat, and I think I've talked about this before, but I eat very plain. I found that my taste buds have changed to the point that I really just crave very natural foods in their natural form. So I eat like fish and chicken and steak with very little seasoning. I mean, I might add like, I like garlic, so I might add like garlic. Then I eat uh, vegetables, pretty plain, um, and the same with fruit. But I will say, and this is going to sound like a terrible plug, <laughs> but um, when the new version of my book comes out, so that's the What When Wine Diet. So it'll be out January 2nd. You can pre-order it and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But it does have, I've been working with a chef who is absolutely amazing. Her name is Ariane Resnick and she created 50 recipes and they are absolutely like divine. And they're actually making me want to start 
cooking more, like actually start <laughs> trying out things more. Those will have a lot of paleo-friendly whole food recipes. It's a lot of like fish and meat dishes, but then there's also like vegetarian and vegan options and they're all gluten-free. Most of them are dairy-free and they also note if you do have like digestive issues, which that's a whole thing for people, it'll note if they're low FODMAP or if they're uh, autoimmune paleo-friendly. So I, that sounds like a terrible like commercial plug, but I will refer you to that. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping I was hoping you would mention that because I know you've been working on those recipes. So they they look so good. I I need to. Uh, they just look so good. <laughs> well, I can't wait to try them. And I did put wine pairings, which is really exciting. Yay! That that is exciting. Well, I can answer that as well. I um. I use those food delivery companies, and there's a whole ton of them out there. I'm not going to start listing them, but um, I've tried a bunch of them and settled on a couple that I like the best. But the, if for anyone who's not aware, they send you – like you, you go into their website and that you pick what you want to eat, like usually a week in advance, and then they send you all of the ingredients and a recipe, just like you were going to the grocery store. And um, then you just cook the food. <laughs> and so I actually – have started experimenting a lot more with a variety of things I never would have eaten before. Like I never bought quinoa, for example, at the grocery store. I never would have ventured out and tried it, but I've tried it in these food delivery um, recipes. And so I'm eating so many different things that I haven't had before. A lot of different vegetables that I never would have bought. You know, like I might take a look at a spaghetti squash and think, what do you do with that? But when they come across in one of these meal boxes, I'm like, I'm going to try that. And so I'm really expanding my horizons in that way. It's really changed our life as a as a family because I'm now cooking, you know, seven nights a week instead of, you know, I would get off work and be tired and think, oh, what are we going to eat? And it, it might be I would drive through and get a salad from a fast food restaurant. And, yes, I'm, I'm admitting it. <laughs> you know, when you're a working mother with a family, you want something that's going to be convenient that you don't have to go to the grocery store necessarily and shop for after you've been working all day. So to get home and have all the, of the ingredients already there for me with the recipe, I, you know, I turn on some music, I pour myself a glass of wine, and I, I cook a great meal. And so it's different every day. Tonight we're going to have um, – it's a chicken parmesan with vegetables that comes with like zucchini and squash and onion and tomato and a whole bunch of different vegetables, you know, in like a little – like the, I guess you saute them. I haven't looked at the recipe that closely. I'm going to add a side of pasta with that because <laughs> we like pasta. But, you know, it's different every night. And then one night this week we'll have, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of what we're eating. It's just a, a wide variety of different things. The, you know, chicken dishes, meat dishes, a lot of different vegetarian things that I'm trying. So it's just ma- it's changed my life um, to try these different companies. So I encourage you to experiment because not everyone's going to like the same companies. That's really interesting to hear you say that because um, I I mean, I haven't used those services myself, but when I first heard about them, I was like, oh no, we're becoming so modern, like we're not going to the store anymore. But it's really interesting to hear that perspective that it actually brings you together as a family. Well, it it, it does. And I, I've bought this special meal, you know, and so it's like, we're going to sit down to get... We, we all sit down together and eat it now. Like before I would bring stuff home, people would wander in and eat it. And it wasn't like, but it's made us sit down together. And, you know, I want to apologize to my family for not having done that for all the years before. But, you know, I read something, I can't tell you the exact numbers, but it was like that we normally eat like 
I don't know, 12 foods in, in, you know, rotation, the same 12 things over and over again in different combinations. And I can now say that's no longer true for us because, you know, one time last week we had eggplant and another night we had, you know, poblano peppers. And so it's really forcing me to eat a lot of different things. But I mean, I'd say forcing like it's like it's a bad thing, but it's actually opened up my palate to um, flavors from around the world. Like I tried kimchi. It came in a recipe and I was a little scared of it. You know, <laughs> I was like, ah, what is this I'm eating? But I tried it. And so it's just, you know, you wouldn't go out necessarily buy a whole, you know, container of kimchi, but it sent just the exact right amount that I needed for the meal. Oh, true. So you're saving money majorly that way. You don't have to buy the whole basil thing. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's fabulous. And so there's no waste. So going back to being environmentally conscious, you know, yeah, there's the box that it comes in. But then again, they ship things in boxes to the grocery store too. So I've, you know, that's not different. But um, it's there's no food waste. I'm not throwing food away. You know, before you would go and you would buy, you know, all this produce and then you might not get to it. But here it's like exactly the amount of produce I need for the meal. I just love it. It's changed our lives. You know, if you're like, I'm going to try spaghetti squash, and then you have to find a recipe for it. Then you have to figure out what to have it with. But instead, it just all comes, and there it is, and you just do it. So this sounds like a commercial, and it isn't. Because notice I didn't say as, I didn't say a single product name. I didn't tell you my company. So. <laughs> but I love them. I feel like so many people have the mind-blown moment when they realize spaghetti squash naturally is that shape. Like, yeah. like it, you don't have to spiralize it. It's already... No, and it it's like a miracle. You're like using your forks, and it's like this is amazing. So good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Shall we jump into our next question? So our next question comes from Philip, and Philip says, "Love the show. I lost forty two pounds in about five and a half months doing IF sixteen eight, which means that he fasted for sixteen hours and ate for eight hours. I wanted to know how many calories would break your fast." I drink black coffee every morning, but sometimes I like my French vanilla creamer. I try to keep it under 50 calories, but I wanted to know your thoughts. Thanks. So what are your thoughts? Oh, I've got thoughts about this. (laughs) Oh, I know you do. (laughs) Oh, you know I do. That 50 number. Everybody says that, and there's like no research for that. To me, okay, (laughs) now this might sound mean, so nobody think this is mean. I don't mean it to be mean, but it's almost like, and I'm not meaning this to Philip either, because Philip did not make this up or originate this. This is, you know, just one of those things that you'll hear intermittent fasters say, like, oh, you know, 50 calories doesn't break the fast. It's almost like someone's wanted to have 50 calories and just said, I'll just claim 50 calories doesn't break the fast. And that was like their reason to, to get to do, oh, it's 50 calories. What does it matter? Um, here's the thing. You're either in the fasted state or you're in the fed state. And if you're trying to calculate what takes you out of the fasted state and get into the fed state, then why, why are you doing that? Okay. So Philip, no, (laughs) I do not follow that philosophy. Um, you know, there's negligible caloric intake or caloric content when it comes to coffee. You know, there's a a few calories here and there. Our tea even has a few calories, but it's negligible. And um, other than coffee and tea, I don't think you want to to have anything else during, during the fast as far as, like, calories go. We've talked before about, you know, fat and things like that. Um, actually, I think that 
you know, some good MCT oil or coconut oil break the fast less than your French vanilla creamer, believe it or not, even though it has more calories. So it's really not the calories that you need to worry about so much as what is this doing in your body. And certain things that you ingest are going to stop the processes that are going on, you know, ketosis, autophagy, the things we want to have happen during the fast, the reason that it's important to keep your fast clean. And French vanilla creamer is going to give you that sweet taste that's going to spike your insulin. And even if it's a zero-calorie creamer, you know, they make those. They have these, these you know, super artificial things that are zero-calorie and super sweet. Um so it's not just the the calories that that we're focused on. So first of all, no, I don't. I mean, if if we go by the under fifty calorie rule, you could just like eat pickles all day long. You know, eat a pickle every hour. Are you fasting? Well, it's less than fifty calories. So, um, I would I would not have the French vanilla creamer. Absolutely not. I know we like that the flavor and the taste. I actually wrote a, a blog post this week that I've been working on for a while about keeping the fast clean and why it's important. It's on JenStevens.com. And it, it talks about all the research as to why. The most important part of this blog post is the um, the stories from p- members of the Facebook group. I put it out there with the group, and I said, anybody have a story about how keeping the fast clean changed fasting for you? And within a couple of hours, I had like 58 stories from people who just talked about how they didn't think, you know, XYZ made a difference, and then they tried it without it, and it, they were just amazed at how much easier it was to fast, how much less hunger they had. Some of them reported immediately they started dropping weight that they had been unable to drop before. So, um, yeah, I would I would leave out anything sweet, anything creamer-related. You know, black coffee is really what you want to have. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, I was just going to say I've been recently researching the – how different nutrients are processed by the body and it's so ridiculously complex i didn't even realize i did not even realize like how carbs versus fats um are either you know shuttled like the the path that they're shuttled through the liver and then to the pancreas or through the fats fats through the lymph system and it there's just so many aspects to it and so many different metabolic pathways and that can be up-regulated, up down-regulated. It, it's it's really hard to say how much any one given thing will affect you. I think the 50 calories thing is, yeah, don't don't go by that. Please don't go by that. It's, it's not the, the best way of looking at it for like breaking the fast by counting calories. Um, so everything that Jen said. I will say as far as like macronutrients go, and this is just a tangent, but like protein, for example – I don't think we'd ever want protein during the fast. That's going to shut off autophagy. You know, carbs have the most potential for insulin, but then fats have to be digested. So it's it's just, there's just so much. So uh, I would encourage you, Philip, to, to go go with the black coffee. And to me, it's always about why are we fasting? I mean, what's the point? And, you know, now that I am no longer trying to lose pounds necessarily, you know, anymore, I've, I've got to my goal, gotten to my goal weight and I've been here for over two years, you know, You might think, well, okay, I can start having this and that and the other again. I'm at maintenance. But then the more you learn about the actual processes that go in your body, that go on in your body during, during a clean fast, you realize 
you don't want to stop those. You know, if, if my body is busy healing and repairing, I don't want to put something in there that's going to stop that. And so the fasting time is really sacred to me, even more so now that, that I understand how, the, you know, the health benefits of fasting. So I used to, when I had it through a dieter's mindset, I thought, you know, what can I get away with? What can I do? And I really think that 50 calorie rule is is along those lines. What can I get away with and still lose weight and still have something, you know, during the day? And instead, I don't want to try to get away with anything. I want to help my body do what it needs to do during the fast more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> All right. We're ready for the next right. question. Yes, we are. This one is from Stephanie, and her question is about strategies for weekends. And she says, could you please address this on air? This is a real obstacle for me. When I'm at work during the week, I can get through the day okay because the work keeps me busy, but I'm having difficulty complying with IF during the weekends. I'm jonesing to open up my window early, but regret it when I do because I have to close it earlier. Or I might just decide to take the day off or have a much longer window. I also have a friend who's retired who's really having difficulty maintaining a decent IF schedule. Melanie, I know you must have to deal with such issues. And Jen, now that you're off for the summer, how do you deal with this effectively? Sure, we can all try to stay busy and find things to do, but there's a limit. What strategies did you all use in the beginning? Thanks, Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Awesome question. So when I first started intermittent fasting, it was in college, and I know exactly what you mean. Like, Because on the days that I had classes and was busy, intermittent fasting was effortless. It's those days that when you don't have stuff to do that you you get hungrier. It's interesting. You know, you, when you don't have stuff to do, you're like, Oh, what can I do? And you really realize how much you can use food to fill boredom. So to start your hunger is probably, I mean, it's probably coming from two things. It's either actual hunger, like your body's not fat adapted and you actually need food or it's a mindset boredom thing. I think for most of us, it's a mindset boredom thing. So I know that you said, uh, you said that it's good to stay busy, but there's a limit to that. But honestly, I do think that's the key. I don't want to say just stay busy um, because I know that's easier said than done. But if you just, when you don't have stuff to do that's planned, you could see your appetite signals as inspiration to do the things that you need to do, like on your to-do list. Because I know a lot of us have, we talk about not having time to do things, but then we come around and we have this time and then we just don't do things. So I like to personally, um, when I have this issue, I use my, my appetite out of boredom as a cue to tackle my procrastination list, to tackle all the little things that I need to do. I've also found that if, if I can engage in anything, which I really love, which really requires all of my focus, that that will completely slay my appetite. So like tasks, I'm a big task person. So if I can do anything that requires my immediate focus, like for example, this is a really bad example because nobody else is probably going through this, but I have to make like the references for, I have to format the references for my book coming out. I have hundreds and hundreds of references. So that's like busy work, but it requires my concentration. I feel like that completely kills my hunger. Also physical activity is great for killing hunger um, because when you start moving, 
that actually upregulates your fat burning state and it's that's really good for slaying appetite so maybe next time you get hungry maybe instead of walking to the fridge you walk outside instead uh, and do some moving around um but yeah i i mean i feel bad because she she mentioned staying busy but i do think that's the key what about what about you jen i hope you have some good advice <laughs> yeah i think I think, I think that's a great question. And she talked about, you know, being off for the summer. Is it different? And, you know, this is interesting because this has been the, let's see, I started 2014. I wasn't, I didn't start the intermittent fasting until after I really like August. So, um, I had the summer of 2015 that I was intermittent fasting in the summer of 2016 in the summer. So, okay. So this is the third summer that I have been really intermittent fasting, um, at my goal weight. So the first summer, 2015, I still was trying to figure out how to maximize what I could eat during the day and still, you know, maintain the weight I had lost. That was when I was trying to do five, two. And I had, um, every week I had two fasting days and then five days where I ate, you know, normally the five, two pattern. Um, then the summer of 2016, I had switched to the one meal a day pattern at that point. I, I did that in maybe May of 2016. So I've been pretty much one meal a day within a five-hour window since May of 2016 consistently. That's when I decided that was the lifestyle I really preferred living. And so last summer, since I really you know, decided in May this is what I'm going to do, I probably was in the same place that you are now, Stephanie, and I did struggle more with wanting to eat during the day because I had done, you know, 4-3 and 5-2, the patterns where you eat all day or more on some days and then have the, the full fasts on other days. So I did have to do some different things to keep myself busy, like 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 you said not to do but or not to say, but I would leave the house. You know, I was fine in the morning and then it was in the afternoon that I would struggle more. So I had a plan. Like if I needed to run errands, that's when I would run errands and I would be out of the house running the errands and then I would come home and and it was time to, to break my fast and open my window. But just getting out of the environment helped me a lot. Now, fast forward a year later to the summer of 2017 and I didn't have to do that anymore. This is now such a lifestyle for me that you know, I may have that fleeting, you know, like stomach growl, but I, I don't want to eat in the day because I know how it'll make me feel. I'll know that I won't feel as good. I'll need a nap. And it, it never has once made me happy. Like, I'm never like, man, I'm so glad I opened my window at noon today <laughs> because I just feel so much better. Right. So I've done it enough that I know I don't want to. Um, like I mentioned in the, the previous question, it's all about why we're fasting. And so instead of thinking about, oh, I can't eat even though I want to, I can't eat now, I think about what my body is doing and I think about the processes that are going on and I think about you know the anti-aging benefits and the anti-inflammatory benefits and then I, I no longer have that disgruntled feeling that I used to have of like, man, I can't eat. You know, I don't, I don't want to anymore because I've made that mind shift. So it's just interesting how it's changed. You know, 2015, I was still trying to figure out how to eat as much as possible and maintain. 2016, I had committed myself to this, you know, daily eating window lifestyle for good, but I still had to, you know, have some things in place to keep me from struggling. 
Summer of 2017, I don't even think about it anymore. It just happens. So there's hope, but you know, it doesn't happen overnight. You see, it's taken me three summers <laughs> to get to this point where it's like an effortless lifestyle. Yeah, I agree. I'm the same way as far as um, at the beginning, I did have to find like distractions, but now it, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all. I do like what you said about leaving the house. I think that's great. <laughs> Go to the store, <laughs> uh, do something else. Yeah, I did a lot of shopping in the summer of 2016. I'm like, I think I'll go to the mall again. <laughs> I remember doing that too. <laughs> like, I'll stay here a little bit longer. And, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So you got this, Stephanie. Yeah, you can do it. Keep on keeping on. We promise it'll get way easier. It really does. And I actually have a blog post about this one on jenstevens.com as well. It's called The Importance of Mindset. And so if you're struggling with this at all, you know, you may want to go to to the the um the website and check out that blog post just because it really made all the difference in the world when I started thinking about the fast differently instead of like what I I, I can't do, why why I'm choosing to fast. That helped a lot. Everybody check that out. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. <laughs> All right. Shall we go to our next question? Yes. So our next question comes from Sandy and the subject is collagen peptides. And Sandy says, love, love, love your podcast. Never miss an episode. So informative and fun to listen to. She seems very enthusiastic. She Yay. has a lot of exclamation points. <laughs> Yay, Sandy. Uh, she says, I've been doing IF for a while. I am one meal a day and loving it. It's finally made me the calm, happy, positive, energetic person I always strive to be. Never mind the rocking body. My question is, I recently started taking a tablespoon of collagen peptides twice a day. I love the benefits I get, but I'm wondering, will these collagen peptides break my fast? I mix them in my water and squeeze lemon. They don't make me hungry. They actually help me feel good. Thank you for any help you can give me in this. Love you, ladies. So this kind of speaks to what we were just talking about, but um, I have an interesting opinion on it. What, what are your thoughts, though? Well, this is, you know, collagen. People may wonder, what is collagen? Well, collagen is, um, it's a protein. And so as we've mentioned, you know, it all, de all depends on what, what your purpose is with the fasting. But if your purpose for the fasting is increased autophagy, I don't think you want to have collagen during your fast. <laughs> so that will stop um, autophagy in its track. So I actually have a study that we can um, we can link in the show notes, but they they did some um, some research with humans in this case, and they um, supplemented different types of of protein with them, gave them different different dosages of different things. Leucine, they were giving them that, and and they had a control group with a different amount. And they found that when they supplemented with proteins, not only did the um, participants have an increase in insulin levels, but the autophagy markers were decreased um, after the supplementation. And they actually remained decreased for 180 minutes after that. So, yeah, that's three hours. <laughs> There's the math, math for y'all. There's so, the math. <laughs> there you go. That's elementary school math. So, um <laughs> I actually wouldn't recommend it. I think that, you know, collagen supplementation could be great, but I would keep it in the eating window instead of having it during the fast. You know, I, I know that it's, it's helping you feel good, but I, I would wait until the, um, until the eating window to have the collagen. What do you think about that, Melanie? 
I've thought a lot about this in the past because I'm a big fan of collagen peptides. So in general, we eat a lot of muscle meat today and the amino acid balance of the muscle meat is it's not in balance in the way it should be because historically we ate more of the whole animal and we got a lot of that collagen and that gelatin, which is absolutely key for gut health. It's good for skin. It's good for nails. Um, and it also balances, like I said, the amino acid profile. So I think collagen peptides are great. And I do know a lot of people take them in the fasted state for their benefits because they immediately address the, then they can immediately address your gut health. So what I encourage you to do, this is my solution. And this is what I do personally is I break my fast with things like this. So rather than um, having them as a part of the meal where it might get a little bit lost in the shuffle, um, you could try, so maybe like 30 minutes before you eat, having your drink with your collagen peptides, because then you know it's going straight to your gut lining, you're getting the benefits, um, but then you're about to break your fast anyway. So that's what I would encourage you to do. Best of both worlds. Oh, I think that's a great solution. Yep. That's what I do for any supplement where I'm like, "Eh, I don't know if this is going to uh, break my fast. I, that's what I do. Yeah. So. I think that's, that's pretty much my rule of thumb as well as, you know, if, if I don't know, if I'm not sure I save it till later. And, and if you, if it needs to be, if you have a feeling it's going to be best on, on an empty stomach without food, then yeah, open your window with that and then wait before you eat a little while. Yep. Perfect. Great. All right. So we've got another question from Mimi and this is, um, Mimi says, greetings. I love your podcasts. Thanks. Have you ever had any readers write in about having bladder pain during longer fasts? I have some gut slash health issues, and it seems around the 18-hour mark I start to have pain. A knowledgeable friend suggested that it might be oxalates. Am I saying that right? Oxalates dumping since my blood is cleared of them during fasting or maybe uric acid. Ugh. Anyway, have you seen People reap some weight loss benefits with only fasting 16 hours at a time. That seems to be my limit at the moment. I tried drinking more water, but I still feel lousy at the end of the day if I go over 15 or 16 hour fast. I do eat some carbs during my eating window as I feel better when I eat a few carbs. Any tips appreciated. Thank you. Okie dokie. So two questions in there. So to start with the the bladder pain question, I'll start by saying Jen and I are not doctors at all. And for an issue like this, I would actually encourage you to speak with more knowledgeable people like a doctor or physician about this because um, I mean, this is not my forte or my specialty. I mean, I did do some research on the subject, but in the end, I would encourage you to go with people more informed on the subject. So it could possibly be oxalate dumping. I do think that could be a huge thing. Um, So oxalates are a compound found in plants, and they are excreted almost exclusively, if not exclusively, through the urine. So that's why they can lead to bladder pain. Most people are completely fine with processing oxalates. So they're found mostly in like green leafy vegetables and nuts and seeds and tangent. If you go to uh, my website, melanieavalon.com, I actually have a food sensitivity guide that's completely free. You can download it and it will show you, it has over 300 foods and it'll show you the oxalate levels, either low, medium, or high for all those foods, as well as all these other compounds like histamine and all the potential food sensitivities. So you can check that out. But anyways, back to oxalates. 
So most people can process them fine, but some people have malabsorption problems. And so that can be from like intestinal permeability that's just letting them leak into the system more. It can actually be a gut flora thing uh, because different strains of gut bacteria are involved in processing oxalates. So they've actually found that supplementation with certain strains of probiotics helps some people with oxalate malabsorption could also just be you're, you don't have adequate enzymes to process that. So because oxalates are excreted exclusively through the urine, um, if you have a problem absorbing them and then you go into the fasta state for a long time, they can build up and then they will be excreted and that can lead to your bladder pain. So it could very likely be that, especially if you know that you struggle with oxalates. So that could be a thing. Um, it could also be a just a general like UTI um, infection that could be a thing. Um, so I, they've done. They, there's a lot of interesting like Ramadan studies on fasting and UTIs because they find that people on Ramadan fast actually experience increased symptoms of UTIs while fasting. And it has. I don't even know. It has to have to do with like the bacteria clinging to the walls and hydration and lots of like crazy stuff. <laughs> um, so that could be a thing for that. I mean, if you want to like try to naturally address that. The go-to thing for that is like cranberry juice and cranberry supplements. But again, that's a thing that I would encourage you to see a doctor for. So in any case, I'm not sure. It's definitely something. I don't know what it is, um, but I would encourage you to see a doctor. So how about how about you, Jen? Yeah, I think you addressed that really well. That's not my, my expertise either. And I had to look up oxalates <laughs> myself because <laughs> that's just not something we, we um, tend to talk about a lot in the in our fasting Facebook groups or <laughs> I talk about it a lot in um, like the food sensitivity group. Okay. So it is like, it is a thing for me. Definitely people or listeners go get that free guide that I made because it, it shows all of this stuff. That's good. I, I want to address the part about the, the timing of her fast. Cause she asked if you can reap weight loss benefits with only fasting 16 hours at a time. And I would say that, you know, fast as much as you feel comfortable doing to start with for now. Yes, if the best you can do right now because of the way your body feels is 15 or 16 hours, then absolutely, that's what you should do. And then, you know, over time, um, see if you feel better. Um, But yeah, 16 hours or 15 hours fasted is certainly better than 14 or 13. So do what you can do at this point. You know, there are people who do, you know, 16, 8 and they lose weight. And, and they live that lifestyle day in and day out. So definitely give it a try and see how that feels for you. But yeah, go to the doctor and get this, get this checked out if you're still having um, the pain because, you know, we don't want to have pain. Pain associated with fasting is not, not good. <laughs> normal or, <laughs> exactly. or what, what we're looking for. So, you know, it's bringing something to light that's going on in your body. Which that's a good thing. Yeah, I think. I think so too. You know, intermittent fasting will point out lots of things about about what you can and can't tolerate in your in your body. Um, food sensitivities come to light often through intermittent fasting. You realize, man, I feel bad when I eat this certain thing, and you didn't know before <laughs> that 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 affected you because you were eating all the time and you didn't have time to pinpoint it. So, I will just tag on for the timing question. I do wonder, Mimi, how long you've been doing intermittent fasting. It's interesting that you you say you feel lousy once you get into the fast. Because I find for me personally, a lot of people, you feel better 
the longer you go into the fast. So I do wonder if maybe your body is still adapting to the whole process because I think in the ideal state, you'll start feeling pretty good around the 15 or 16 hour mark, not lousy. I'm sorry that you're feeling lousy. So I encourage you to keep on keeping on because I do think that will get better. And I will say one thing, and I, we talked, I talked about this just a little bit ago, but, um, physical activity is really great. So at that 15 or 16 hour mark, if you are feeling lousy, I encourage you to just like go on a walk or something and just see what that does. Um, cause I do find that that helps a lot. All right. So one more question. This one comes from Suzanne and her subject is alternating fasting methods. And Suzanne says, Hi there. I somehow stumbled across intermittent fasting on YouTube one day about a month ago. I wasn't even looking for anything about dieting and it just popped up. And then I found you gals on the podcast. And for that, I am grateful. I started right away and lost 10 pounds and I am sure some inches in about four weeks. I'm doing 16-8, but my question is, could I do that for five days a week and then do two days where I just have one meal, dinner? Also, if my window closes at 8 p.m., does that mean I should stop eating by 7.59 p.m.? <laughs> How strict is that window? Thanks for your help. Yeah, these are great questions, Suzanne. And um, I love that last one, you know, 7.59 and 30 seconds. I know seconds. that feeling, though. Yes. I know that feeling. I do, too. I do, too. And I used to time my window like that, and now I no longer do. Um, as far as your, your first part of your question, could you do 16, 8, 5 days a week and then have two days of one meal a day? Absolutely. You, you totally can. And then you may find over time that gradually you um, gravitate towards more days of one meal a day just because you, you might – realize that you feel really good that way. That's what happened with me. You know, I started off with a 1230 to 530 window. I was, I was trying to have a five hour window. So I would have, you know, I would eat at 1230 and then I would stop eating by 530. There were days though that I would go over 530 if we had a social event, you know, most social events are not over by 530. So some days I would end up with a lot longer window and, and that worked for me fine in the early days of intermittent fasting. Then I realized I actually felt better when I had my window opening later in the day. And so after I had fully adapted to intermittent fasting and started having my window open, you know, 4 p.m., 5 p.m., more along the lines of that, then I found I didn't even really have to time the window so much anymore just because if I was still awake, you know, it wasn't that long. And there are not nights where I like open it at 5 and then stay up till 3 a.m., you know. So there's only so much <laughs> that I can do after I open my window. I mean, there might be a night like that here and there, but it's not my normal lifestyle. So um, I would, you know, you're still in early days. Play around with it and see what feels right to you. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, don't sweat, you know, when you close your window if it's a little bit after 8. But that could be a slippery slope because then the next thing you know, it's 8.30, it's 9 o'clock, you know, and you're having a snack. So you do want to, from the beginning, have, you know, like my, my window is 8 hours, not 9 hours, you know, and try to stick to that most of the time. Every now and then you may have a social event where you go longer. But um, hopefully as your body adjusts, as I said, you'll see that, the days where you just have the one meal actually are not scary. It sounds like it would be. You know, if someone told me, you know, back years ago, you're going to be eating one meal a day, I would be like, that's crazy. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. But I really, <laughs> it feels so natural. And, and 
you know, when I mentioned before, when I went on that cruise and ate two meals a day, it felt wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just funny how your body adapts and then you don't like that feeling of having all that food. It's <laughs> what do you think, Melanie? Well, like Jen said, I think your plan is great with doing the, the one meal a day a few times a week. And I do think you might naturally gravitate towards it more. So as for the window thing, so I historically, I started with one meal a day and I've been doing it nonstop for, I don't even know how many years now, it's like <laughs> seven years or something. Um, so I actually never monitored closing my window because like Jen talked about, I opened my window pretty late, so it didn't really matter to me. So something that you can actually try, Suzanne, is... So you said that you're doing 16-8 and your window closes at 8. So I'm assuming you're eating from 12 to 8. So something you can try is instead of monitoring closing the window exactly at 8, if you do go over or even if you go under, you can just make it so... Okay, this is hard to explain, but make it so that you go at least 16 hours from when you stop until the next day. So it it creates more of a fluctuating window instead of um, doing like... I mean, you'll still be mostly eating between 12 and 8. So basically, let me rephrase because I feel like I'm being very unclear. <laughs> so say that you stopped eating at 8.30 one day instead of 8. Then just make sure that you go 16 hours. So the next day you wouldn't eat until 12.30. But then you could still stop eating by 8. So then you'd be back again on the same page that you were on before. Whereas if you stopped eating at 5 one day, then 16 hours from that would be... I should have done the math ahead of time. So that would be... Um, Five to five, six, seven, eight, nine. nine. Technically, you could eat earlier the next day. Yeah, like 9 a.m. Um, the point being, if you, as long as you're getting in your your 16 hours, that's the way I personally like to look at it. Um, but in general, you would still be sticking to your 12 day, especially if that's working for you. But yeah, definitely don't get too caught up in the 7.59. If you eat until 8.05, it's okay. <laughs> It'll be okay. See, I'm a rule follower. So when I was like, it is five hours, it is ending. But yep. <laughs> Well, that's the way I was too. So and I yeah. think that's what I said We on our recent podcast. We talked about our advice that we would give. And I do think in the beginning, um, and that was one of my things, was that I was like so strict in the beginning. But it is good for when you're adapting in the right. beginning because it, 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 it makes you – really um conform because that sounds like it's like a bad thing but it makes you adapt to it well you you get in the routine because like i said before it can be a slippery slope you know if if every day you know you're like and then before you know it you're not fasting at all so you just have to you have for well we're all different like i said i'm the rule follower i read a book about that where it talked about you know your different personality types and i'm if I have decided that I'm going to do this right here and I'm going to that I'm going to do it, you know. <laughs> so maybe us uh, Suzanne you could always wait until 12, but if you go over one day, you could just make sure you wait 16 hours so you would open your window a little bit later the next day, but then you would still close by 8 and you could get the best of both worlds. That's a great idea. So awesome. Well, these were amazing, amazing questions. Thank you everybody so much for sending them in. And if you have your own questions, we would love to hear them ever so much. So there's two ways that you can do that. You can go to our website, ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions directly there, or you can email questions at ifpodcast.com. So two ways to do that. 
You also, if you would like to look at show notes for the, today's episode, that's where we're going to post links to any studies. That's where we'll post links to the blog posts, the guides that we talked about, um, anything like that. So you can go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 18. And then lastly, if you do have a brief moment, we would love if you could write a review on iTunes. That really just helps ever so much in everything. And we really, really appreciate that. So yeah. I say this every time, but any final thoughts from you, Jen? No, I think we 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 addressed everything. They were great questions, and yes, y'all keep sending them in. And I love, um, I loved hearing the follow ups. You know, the questions about that we had at the beginning or the the feedback. So you know, send in some feedback to us like that. Yeah, definitely. It's really really great to hear, and we can read it on the show. Absolutely. All right. Well, everybody have a wonderful week. And we'll we'll see you. See you. <laughs> we'll next week. Next week, we'll, we'll talk to you. <laughs> You'll next hear week. us. You'll next hear week. us. <laughs> That's right. I don't know. All right. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.